Only real Christians can be corrected, can be told that they've done something wrong and they need to do better. If you're really a Christian, you can take it and it won't, it won't mess you up. If you're not a real Christian, you will be offended and you will leave and you'll quit and you'll make excuses of why you do this and do that. So correction is a massive part of being a Christian. And at the end of tonight's lesson, you're going to see why in the church it's the safest place to be corrected. Now, I know that correction is not something we just do at church. It's something that happens at your job. You probably get in trouble at your job and you got to change. You get written up or whatever happens. It happens with uh, your, your childhood. Whenever you're a child in a home, you get corrected. Um, and so it happens with the law. It happens whenever you speed. It happens whenever you get a ticket. You go to jail. Things happen. You get, you get corrected. The point is, is if you will have a response or a correction or maybe feel a little bit of guilt and conviction, the idea is that you'll stop doing it and your life will be better and that you will become a better part of society. In the kingdom of God, the idea is you'll get to go to heaven which is ultimately our goal, right? Right. So we're corrected because we signed up to live holy. We, we told ourselves we want to live like Jesus. So when we're not living like Jesus and we don't know we're not living like Jesus, how do we find out that we're not living like Jesus? It's, it's usually when someone brings it to our attention. And so it is absolutely the will of God for us as Christians to be able to take correction in the right spirit, to learn from it, and to get up from that situation and to become a better Christian. That's the will of God for us. Does anybody believe that tonight before I even get started? Good. And so there's a lot to this, I know. Let's, let's go ahead and, and get into it. I'll admit tonight that it's not fun to be corrected. It's not enjoyable to be called out. It is embarrassing. It's shameful. Uh, no one likes to be confronted. No one likes to be told you're wrong. No one. It's impossible that you'll ever just be so happy that someone said you made a mistake. Just go ahead and mark it down. Just go ahead and get it settled. It will not be enjoyable. But it will also not kill you. In fact, if you listen to it, it literally will protect you from spiritual death. You've got to get to the place where you enjoy learning, changing, becoming more like Christ. You have to get to the place where you want it so bad that you look forward in some way to becoming a better Christian. And you don't even care how you've got to get there. I mean, how many, how many else in this room has prayed, God, make me a better Christian, and God took you through the fire? Because that's how God teaches you lessons. Right? You're like, God, I want you to use me. God's like, good, you're going to go through a valley. You're going to go through a storm. You're going to go through hell. And then when you get done, you're, you're a better Christian. Right? You're like, God, I want to be on the top of the mountain, and God takes you to a wilderness. So it should not be weird that correction is a tool used to make us better Christians. And it should not be weird that we don't like it. it here's the principle. Stop doing it, and the correction stops. You don't have to keep feeling awkward if you change. The only people that feel awkward are the people that keep rebelling. 
Now that's awkward because you're going to keep hearing it. You're going to keep hearing it over and over and over, and you're going to keep going through that lesson over and over and over. The best thing you can do is just to go ahead and learn your lesson quickly so that you can move on to the next lesson. You're never going to get out of all your lessons. You're always going to have a new lesson. There's always another level, another devil. There's always a new place for you. You're never going to get to a place where it's just like peace, peace, and nothing's wrong, not until you're in heaven. So while you're on this earth, there will be correction. And it's not fun, but it is the will of God. <laughs> um, there are times when it's going to be necessary for us to be corrected from God and also from the body of Christ. Here's a Google search on scriptures about correction. I'm not being lazy. I'm being smart. Google has already provided these for me. Saved me a lot of time. And it's still our Bible. It just put them in a big group for me to read quickly. I picked from this group of 30 some that stood out the most. Are you ready for a crash course on Scripture? Proverbs 12 and 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I don't know if that's the King, I'm pretty sure it's not the King James Version. But I really like whatever version that is. It gets my attention. Hebrews 12 and 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, someone say later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Righteousness is a life of peace. Living a right life gives you peace. If you don't like a peaceful heart, then you don't like correction. But if you let correction come, it'll make you more righteous, and righteousness will make you have more peace. And the reason you can't sleep at night is because you won't let anybody correct you. You don't have peace in your spirit because you're not right, and you won't let anybody help you get right. And so you have no peace in your spirit. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Every scripture is there to help you and sometimes to correct you. That's what it's there for. It's okay to read the Bible and be like, well, I'm wrong. It's not, don't run. Don't skip it. Right? Just be like, I'm going to get right. It's that simple. Well, that scripture tells me I need to pray more. Well, I will. Don't fight it. You can't fight God. When you see something wrong, just change it. And you can start to feel some peace and less guilt and less shame all the time. Your self-esteem is so broken because you know you're not doing right. You can solve all of that. You can get right. Proverbs 15 and 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. You're fighting yourself now. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Some people are not intelligent because they won't let anybody talk to them about themselves. Do you enjoy not being intelligent? That's why you have no money. You're not intelligent. That's why you don't have a lot of friends. You're not intelligent. This isn't about how God made you. This is about you refusing to grow. God didn't make you stupid. You're keeping yourself stupid because you refuse to let someone teach you anything. 
It's nobody's fault but yours. There is a whole group of people wanting to help you right now, whatever you're going through. But you won't listen, and that's why nobody tries anymore. We kind of got tired of you being mad at us all the time. Got tired of your attitude. Got tired of you thinking you know everything, but you're asking for money all the time. You obviously have problems, but you don't want anybody to help you. And it's really sad. Proverbs 29 and 15, are the children ready tonight? Yes, I hope so. Look, they're already crying. The rod and reproof give wisdom. I'd be crying too. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A mother feels shame when the child acts up. It's embarrassing to the mother. Thank God that is Sister Dulce, someone close to us that can take it. A new convert might not be able to handle that pressure, but that was perfect timing. Our children, yes, our children do need to experience from time to time physical pops on the rear that sting. They won't kill them. That's why God put all that extra padding down there. You know, you, you, think that, you think that you're struggling right now as a parent. Just wait till they're 16, 17, 18. You think it's hard to deal with their little temper tantrum when they're four? But if I spank them, then they'll be mad at me. Yeah, but they're like the size of your leg. Just wait till they're twice the size of you. Just wait till dad's at work and the 18-year-old boy's at home with mom. He's not afraid. You better make him afraid when he's small. You better make him remember when he's small. That's not right. I don't like this teaching tonight. This doesn't fit the people of Austin. The people of Austin don't fit the scripture. I came here to preach the word of God to Austin. I came here to tell this messed up area they need Jesus. I come to declare truth to this messed up area. They need to get their kids in order because their kids are all over the internet doing the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life because they're not afraid of anybody. If you don't spank them, somebody else will shoot them. Which one's worse? So I hope the parents are listening. You better get a control of it while you can. Because there is an age where spankings don't work anymore. Causes more probably damage than good. You start resorting to taking away their phones and they think that they've lost everything. (laughs) You can do anything. Just not take away my phone. Or my Xbox. Or my PlayStation. Take anything. Just don't take away that. It's amazing. Whatever they don't want you to take away, take it away. (laughs) Teach some of you young people a lesson. You act like you like it, it's going to be the first to go. Yeah, when I was growing up, my dad realized he probably wasn't going to get through to me with spankings anymore. And so being a used car owner of a dealership, 
He bought me the ugliest Suburban from 1985 that existed at the auction in Dallas. It was in the back of a field. It had grass growing through it. That's what I had to drive to high school. So I arrived late. I parked in the back beside other cars that were much nicer than mine, and I pretended I was getting out of someone else's car. <laughs> the problem was, is after tennis practice, I would be getting out alone almost with the tennis team walking to the parking lot, and there were only eight cars in the whole parking lot. <laughs> and mine is way over there by itself, and it was very difficult to hide what I was driving. And it didn't take me much to listen to my dad because that was the, one of the worst punishments you could have ever given to me. And I can't wait till my kids are 16 <laughs> because I know the power of an old suburban. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we'll, we'll buy one of the old church fans one day. <laughs> I'm going to leave the church name on it. <laughs> the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Just because you were abused as a child doesn't mean you cannot discipline your children. There is a right way to discipline your child. Do it the right way. Don't just not do it at all. Do it the right way. Just because it was the wrong way for you doesn't mean there's not a right way to do it. By the way, how long you've been in church now? You should have already had that dealt with. You've been here 10 years. You've had the Holy Ghost 10 years. You're still worried about all that drama, all that trauma. The Lord needs to heal you. If you're still battling stuff like that, you need healing. I'm not messing with you tonight. I'm telling you sincerely, you ought not live that way with all that fear from your past. All things are made new in Christ. Our poor kids, they, we say, well, we can't do that because we were treated wrong. Now we're going to have ourselves just a whole legacy of messed up kids. That's what's happening to our nation. Overcorrection. Going from one ditch to the other. That's what's happening in our society. So we need correction, and it starts at home. Our, our kids ought to learn at home how to obey. That's where things start. They, they should never talk to the police officer that way because they learned at home. They should never talk to the school teacher that way. They learned at home. They should never talk to anybody that way. They learned at home that there is pain connected to that attitude. That's the place for children to learn. You know who the bad guy is? The mom and the dad, not the pastor. I shouldn't have to get on to your kids. Why do I have to be the bad guy? Why do I have to be more strict than you? Why do I have to love them more than you do? Because that's what it is. You think we enjoy correcting kids? Nobody enjoys it. Whoever loves them the most does what's the hardest. But it really is the parent's responsibility to make sure that the young people are obeying. And you've got to get a handle on it very early. And I will, I will clarify and say that if you're not loving your kids, then it is abuse. Because if the only thing they get from you is that whooping, then it is abuse. That's all they know. If you don't show love, 
all the other minutes of the day, then they can't receive that the right way. But thank God we're all Christian and we love. Shouldn't be easy then to discipline our kids because we evidently love our children. 2 Timothy 4 and 2, preach the word. Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See the balance there? You have to stay patient. You have to teach. But you also have to reprove and rebuke. This is how God set up the church. There are preachers, there are pastors that do it the wrong way. There, it has happened. It'll happen again. It's going to keep happening. Men make mistakes. Men don't know how to correct the right way. But this is the right way to do it. It's the balance of making sure you don't just uh, give reproof and rebuke, but you also exhort and lift up. Look what he said in one sentence. He said, sometimes you got to tell them they're wrong. Sometimes you got to tell them they're doing great. It's a balance. And when you do deal with the people, make sure you're doing it with patience. Make sure you're doing it the right way. Make sure you're doing it with the right spirit. And also, look at this word. Make sure you're teaching. Some pastors tell you you'd messed up because I said so, and they won't ever teach you anything. Look, I, I've got a personal rule. I can't rebuke anything I haven't first taught. I can't say how dare you if I've never taught it. That's my fault, not yours. I'm not expecting anything from anyone under my leadership if I haven't first taught them. But after I've clearly taught it, then if it rises up, it's rebellion. And there needs to be correction. But I cannot move a strong arm and say, I'm the man of God and you listen to me. If I have not effectively taught it, then I cannot rebuke it. And I will pass that along to you. If you have not taught it, you can't rebuke it cannot expect people to do it if you have not taught them. You cannot whoop your kids for stuff that you haven't taught them to do. If they're seeing you backtalk their pastor, you can't teach them to not backtalk you. That's the problem. Is we, we get on to people and we get on to people and we say things you ought to know better to do that. They don't know any better. You never taught them. Teaching is more than your words, it's your actions. You, you have the authority to correct what you've clearly taught. And until you become a teacher, you have no authority. Because people don't know the standard to live by. So we've got to teach it. For you to even know that you're in rebellion. It's got to make sense to people. That's why it says teach them with patience. Because it took me a long time to figure it out. It'll take you a long time to figure it out. You see, God is talking to an authority. Uh, the word of God, Paul, is talking to an authority in Timothy. And as an authority, we have a lot of power to correct. Therefore, we have to always do it the right way. That's the key. And the reason why he said patiently is because how long did it take me to figure some stuff out? This is why, this is why a pastor, a leader, a parent has got to be real with themselves. It took you years to figure out this. It might take them years to figure this out. You need to have a lot more grace on people because people had a lot of grace on you. If you didn't figure some of this stuff out overnight, quit expecting everybody else to. Be patient. Okay? That's important when we are dealing with correction. Um, Ephesians 6 and 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You, you can discipline your children and give them instruction without being angry. When you are angry, it takes away from the correction and the discipline, right? And so do what you have to do, but try to keep a right spirit. Go cool off, go have a prayer meeting, then go back in there and grab the, the belt or the spank spank, as we used to call it. But make sure that you're doing it the right way. I know that we all, especially men, we get angry because we like rule and order in our homes. And sometimes men get angry, women get angry. And we have to make sure and listen to this advice, though. We've got to make sure not to provoke our children to anger. We've got to make sure we're not the angry provokers because they will emulate us and they will be like us. But bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Galatians 6 to 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I'll mention that one more at the end. Hebrews 12 and 6, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you're loved, you're corrected. Anybody, any church, any pastor, any God, if, it really, if they really love you, they will correct you. You are not truly the son of the Father if you're not receiving correction. When you reject the correction of the Father, you are not the son. Now, that's your choice, not his choice. You're choosing to put yourself out of the house. You know how this works, right? If you're in daddy's house, it's daddy's rules. So how do you get kicked out of daddy's house? You don't want to listen to daddy anymore. You are choosing not to be a son when you're not open to correction from your father. One version will call you a bastard in the King James Version, I believe. Strong language. But that's how serious this is. Because if you have a father, you are corrected. Now, let me just say this. I feel like I'm loved when I'm corrected. When someone doesn't want to help me and help me get right, I feel like they love themselves. They love their own identity, their own politics. They love themselves. But when people are willing to get their hands dirty for me, I feel loved. Because I know they don't enjoy doing it. I know they don't like it, but they do it because they care. Job 5 and 17, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Don't be mad at God when he tries to help fix you. Proverbs 1 and 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Only foolish people say, No, I'm good. I don't want any help. Thank you, though. Only a fool does that. Proverbs 10 and 17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent and discipline him. If you spare the rod, you hate your son. If you love yourself, you hate your son. Can't argue with the Bible, can you? You think that we would just be like, okay, the Bible said it, I'm going to do it. But we're under attack. We're under spiritual attack. It's very difficult to do God's will unless you're totally submitted and trusting in God. Proverbs 19 and 18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. <laughs> That's kind of funny because some of y'all don't have sons, but there are times as a father looks at a son and is like, talk back one more time. It's about to be on. 
Because a father's relationship to his son is, if you challenge me, it's about to go down. Because some boys only learn through a fist. That's why that scripture is there. Don't kill them, even though you want to. Watch this. Discipline your son because there's hope when they're still young. Amen. Go ahead and do it right now because when they leave, it's over. You can't influence them anymore. Look, as long as they want your food, money, gas money, cars, and iPhones, discipline them while you've got control. For their own benefit. To help them. 22 and 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The Bible talks a lot about the rod of discipline. Do not withhold, 23, 13, discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die, even though they act like it, even though they squirm on the ground. Some, some of our kids are great actors and actresses. You just pull it out, and you're just like, and they're like, ah! trying to let you know it hurts really bad so that you'll stop. You know you've been there. You did it too. You know there's all kinds of stories of how we tried to, to make our parents feel like they were killing us so they would stop. But the truth is, they won't die. It's going to hurt, but they won't die. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. 29 and 17. You know why you're so tired all the time? Because there's no correction in your family, in your life. Them kids will wear you out. Either you wear them out, or they'll wear you out. You don't have to chase that little boy all over the church if you wear him out. <laughs> How many of y'all weren't allowed to run around all crazy when you were growing up in church? Raise your hand. Now, I know that I'm from the younger generation, and we're a little loose around this church on that. But there was a time when, yeah, you, you'd get it. You'd get it good if you didn't obey. My, my philosophy is I want our kids to love going to church. I want them to look forward to going to church. And that's why I'm a little looser on that. But I also do want them to, to know when to stop and to try to be careful. So we do need to have some balance on it. But if you want rest in your life, have correction. If you want our church to have some rest and go through seasons of peace, we need to have correction in the church. If there's no correction, who wants to go to a church like this if there's no correction? It's like the neighborhood I live in needs correction. My job needs correction. The government needs correction. The school needs correction. Walmart needs correction. People at Target need correction. Everywhere I go needs correction. Hey, how about church? And that they need correction. There's nowhere to go now. Y'all, the church is the last safe place in the entire world. And if this place does not have correction, who wants to come here? Y'all, we have order in this place. There are, there are guidelines in this place. This is not the will of God for us to do what we want to do when we come together. We, we don't treat each other the way we want. This is not the world. This is the church. There's correction here. There's rebuking here. There's That's not right here. You can't do that here and stay here. We will run you off. We will. Because this has got to be a place where we understand it's safe 
It's got to be safe. Or why would anybody want to come to it if it's just like the world? I hope you feel that way about your church. I hope you see what I see, that when people come here, they've got to integrate as a Christian and not stay worldly. I hope we can agree tonight that when people come in those doors, it doesn't matter how they come in, but they've got to change. Come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. Come as you are, come gay, come trans, come bi, come whatever you want to come as. But when we get done teaching you the word of God, you've got to change or you're going to have to go. You know what? That's not just for that group either. If you're a liar and you won't stop lying, you've got to go. If you're a gossiper and you won't stop gossiping, you've got to go. There's not one sin greater than another sin. If you won't, don't want to change and you're causing all hell in the church, you can't be corrected, then you need to go. Why? This is a safe place. And how could broken people, why would we do that to broken people? Let them come in here and just see all kinds of worldliness and hell. That's just not the will of God for the church. Come in broken and let's go through Bible study and let's help people get over what they're going through. And you find out real fast when people don't really want help. Maybe you came here for money. Maybe you came here because you wanted some free food or you wanted someone to pay your rent. But you stay here long enough, you have to make a choice. You're going to get help or you're not going to last. That's the way this works. That's the way the church works. It's very important. Proverbs 3 and 12, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 6 and 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. 8 and 3, hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. 144 and 1, Psalms 144 and 1, of David, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He gets trained, that's the key word there. Psalms 94 and 12, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. You hear that? Blessed is the man who gets disciplined. There's a lot of people in this room that are not blessed because you won't be disciplined. Now, we don't, we don't want to treat you like a child. We don't spank anybody here at the church, right? We don't hurt anybody. You know how we do it? We just tell you. We just tell you. That's it. We tell you when you're going the wrong direction. And you know what's crazy is that right there alone makes people think that you hate their gut. That's just the working of the devil in your ear. My Bible tells me that's love coming to you. And how dare you speak that correction is hate when my Bible says correction is love. You don't know your God. You don't know the Father. You don't know anything about the Bible. You're, you're preaching your own gospel. Look, you can be mad at me, but you better quote scripture to me. Don't, get, don't be getting off of false doctrine talking to me. If you want to fight and plead your case, you use the Bible to do it. And if we can't figure it out, we'll get some elders in the room. But we're going to have, we're going to go by the word of God. Because we have to submit to the word of God. It's wisdom and truth and light. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, Lord. I love your discipline. I'm blessed. When you, anybody ever been blessed through discipline? Anybody ever been blessed when someone said no or the Lord said no, that ain't right? 
Didn't your life get better when you listened to the Lord? Didn't things begin to change in your family and your, in your money and your life? Didn't it get better when the Lord talked to you about it? Who doesn't want to be blessed? Well, the devil doesn't want to be blessed. No, he doesn't. He, he'd rather go to hell. Revelation 13 and 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Hurry up and repent. Because the only reason why God's trying to correct you is so that you will repent. The goal is not for you to argue. The goal is not for you to be like, well, I know more than you. The goal is to say, I want to get right. That should be the spirit of every true Christian when faced with correction is I want to be right. Let me say this. Someone cannot even be my elder, my leader, my authority, or even someone I like, and they can still be right about me. Sometimes your enemies are right about you, but you don't listen to them because they're your enemies. You know why your enemies are right about you sometimes? Because they've been fighting with you for three years. They know you better than a lot of people do. But just because you don't like the person or they're not, they're not some prophet from heaven doesn't mean they're not right. And that's why no matter what anybody says about you, you should take it to prayer and look in the mirror and make sure that accusation never comes true. Okay? Because I want to repent quickly. The Lord loves us. He tries to help us. Here's a new international version of Hebrews 12 and 8. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. There's a lot of scripture. Would you agree with me tonight? There's a lot of scripture on this topic. You know, technically, church family, before I, I get into the, the main point I wanted to mention tonight, technically, we're supposed to judge ourselves. In Matthew 7 and 3, Jesus said, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank or the big log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that little speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. You know what Jesus wants us to do? Jesus taught this. He wants us to look in the mirror so that nobody else has to judge us. He wants us to judge ourselves. If you would live your life saying, God, I want to be righteous, I want to be correct, I want you to show me where I'm wrong, then you will have very few moments in your walk with God where other people will have to look at you and say, you made a mistake. It's going to be so rare because you are looking in your own eye trying to make sure that you are righteous. That's the will of God. Look at these says in verse 5, Matthew 7 and 5. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you're going to see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. Look, the order is that you've got to look in the mirror first and ask yourself, am I struggling in the thing that I'm so critical about others for? You know, a lot of times you find fault in someone else because you have the same fault. There have been pastors that were cheating on their wives that preached about not cheating on their wives. You know why they were preaching so hard about that? Because they recognize the spirit that they're fighting. They have the same problem that, that you do, but theirs is much bigger, which is why that's all they can see in you, is a part of themselves. That's why some of you have found fault and you're actually correct, 
But nobody wants to listen to you correct them because you don't realize yours is much worse than theirs. That guy's got money problems. But you don't realize you've got ten times more money problems. That guy is a gossiper. That woman's a gossiper. You don't realize you gossip ten times more than her. And, and you, you want to help people, but you can't help anybody unless you first help yourself. Always make sure you're not battling the spirit they're battling before you go try to help them. If you're not over the pornography, stop trying to help anybody else. If you're not over the thing, if you don't have victory over it, then you can't speak to it. Because you can't see clear enough to help anybody with your eyes so full of problems. Why is there not a lot of correction in the church that's healthy? Because we don't first correct ourselves. We don't first look in the mirror and say, I got, I got work to do. <laughs> I got some issues. It's amazing how if you lead with, I have some problems, how people will want to talk about theirs. You ever notice that? But you know how we do it? We walk up and people say, now, since I've never made a mistake, let me help you with yours. Nobody wants to listen to a thing you have to say. Well, because I can't relate to any of your problems or sin, I should help you. Well, if you can't relate to my problems and my sin, you can't help me. So you know what every one of us needs to do before we try to get the speck out of our brother's eye? Have a testimony of the log that was in ours. Last week, I had a big old log in my eye. I was struggling with this thing. But God helped me get this big log out of my eye. What about you, brother? Have you ever had anything like that happen to you? Well, actually, I do have that same problem. I'm so glad you were humble enough to talk about how you struggle with it and how God sets you free. And now I think you can help me with mine because you lead with your log. And then that speck in your brother's eye, they're like, hey, help me get rid of my problem. You lead with the problem, the big massive thing that you're facing. You go and say, I got this out. Now I can help you. This is the way Jesus wants the church to act. We can help each other if we'll first deal with ourselves. I want a ministry. Deal with yourself and you'll have one. I want to help somebody battling emotional, then deal with yours. I want to deal with someone's unfaithfulness, then be at every service. You see, we can't help anybody if we haven't mastered it ourselves. And the church is weak. And there's no ministers in the church because there's nobody looking in the mirror saying, I want to make sure I'm righteous and pure and clean so that I can be a blessing for others. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Talk about communion. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If I judge myself, I don't have to have people looking at me saying, you messed up. Hey, let's woman up, let's man up, let's teenager up, let's kid up, let's get in the mirror and say, let's deal with this right now before it gets bigger, before it gets worse. Let's get free of this stuff. Judge me now, Jesus, while I can still repent. Y'all, we're going to be judged one day and you can't repent. So why not just go ahead and get the judgment out of the way? Deal with it today. I don't know about you, but my band-aids come off fast. And, and I 
want to say I jump in cold pools fast, but I still crawl in those slow, and it's, I think it's more miserable. My kids are in there 10 minutes, and I'm still easing my way in. But the best way to do some things is rip off that Band-Aid. Just jump in that cold. Just get it over with. Uh, stop delaying correction. It's the will of God. So let me give you a few examples tonight of how outsiders help us with correction. Everybody say prophets. Number one, a prophet is someone that God speaks to to tell you your future and to warn you of bad things to come if you don't repent. Listen up, ladies. This is serious. Please, no laughing on the front. This is very serious. When a prophet begins to work and talk to you, he can warn you from future doom. Prophets were used mightily all throughout the scripture, and prophets still exist today. One of the most prominent stories in the Bible is when King David got one of his soldiers' wives pregnant, had him killed in battle, tried to cover it all up. He knows better, and he messed up, and he did a bad thing, and he thought, maybe I won't get caught. But God told the prophet, because God's not letting his favorite king get off the hook. So God sends the prophet Nathan, and Nathan tells him about a story of a rich man taking advantage of a poor man. And David said, I know what to do with that man. He said, we're going we're gonna to get this guy. This guy deserves the judgment and the wrath of God. God, and as soon as he was talking about that rich man taking advantage of that poor man, which was a symbol of David taking advantage of one of his soldiers, the prophet looked the king in the eye, the king in the eye, and said, you're the man. This is one of the ways that you get corrected. Now, you might think that's hard to hear, but when you have a heart after, after God's heart, God will let you keep your crown if you will repent when the prophet speaks. When you fight the prophet, you lose everything. You can't fight the prophet because the prophet is just a messenger from God. And for centuries and for millennium, they've killed the prophets to silence God. But when you kill prophets, you kill hope. The prophet is the only way for you to see yourself when you're absolutely deceived and you don't know how messed up you are. So the first way that God will help you when you need correction is he will send you a prophet to look you in the eyes and say, you are judged. And God is going to deal with you right now. We run from prophets, Brother Matthew, thinking we can escape the judgment of God. But you know what you're doing? You're escaping the mercy of God. Because when the prophet comes, there's hope for me. When the prophet comes, there's a chance for me, Brother Dante. When the prophet comes, I have hope. I can repent. When the prophet comes, he did not come there just to destroy me. He came there to tell me, you better get right or things will get worse. Because not only does the prophet tell you what you've done wrong, the prophet can also tell you, 
positive things. And prophets can see the potential in you too. God wants to correct us. And that's the point of the prophets. Here's another way that God corrects us. Through pastors. They watch you going the wrong way. And they warn you because the pastor is usually the closest minister to you. A pastor is like a symbolic shepherd who lives close to the sheep with that particular flock to make sure that they are safe, to make sure they don't fall off of a cliff, to make sure a wolf does not sneak in and devour them. The pastor's job is to nudge the sheep in the right direction. To call to them and tell them this is not the right way. There is a partnership between pastor and sheep, between shepherd and sheep. And the sheep are safe when they're close and listening to the shepherd. Any sheep that does not want to be safe doesn't need a pastor, doesn't want one, there is no value to it. Only those who value correction and safety and salvation enjoy having a pastor. Your scripture reference is Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they, whoever those ministers are, watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. One of the ways that God helps you is God wants you to be close enough for you to make a mistake around a pastor so that he can tell you about the mistake and you can go get it right. Not only would he tell you about the mistake, he would tell about his own mistakes. And he would show you about his own trips and his own issues. And he would show you how to get up from where you're in. He would teach you how to get right whenever you've messed up. He would teach you this is how we walk with God. A pastor is simply someone to show you examples of how to serve and walk with the Lord. And God gives us pastors. Let me give you an Old Testament example that paints a big picture. Ezekiel 33. Let me just paraphrase it for time's sake. Ezekiel 33. It talks about a watchman on the wall. And the example given here from the prophet, this was just in our daily reading. This is very powerful. But the, the prophet said, God spoke through the prophet and said, you have to warn the people. And if you don't warn them, the blood is on your hands. If you warn them and they reject what you say, the blood is on their hands. I cannot be silent. Or I will stand in judgment for how I did not say anything when you were in trouble. As much as I might want to be your best friend and never have you think that I'm anything but perfect and you love me, I will stand before the Lord one day and I have blood on my hands for what I did not do, for what I did not say, for the warning I did not give. You will stand in judgment after you've heard it and after you've ignored it, I will stand in judgment when I rejected to help people that Jesus died for and gave his life for. So I have to do one of the most difficult things as a pastor sometimes, and I have got to let people know 
that, hey, this isn't the way that we live for the Lord. And it's not fun, it's not enjoyable, but whenever you understand that God is loving me right now, that my pastor is loving me right now, that he doesn't have to do this, he's choosing to do this, then you are thankful for godly correction in your life. I am so thankful for men of God in my life who help guide me, correct me, and tell me when I need to to change. Let me give you a personal example before we close tonight. I was talking to my pastor one time, and I said, Pastor, I, I, my wife and I, we're having a little disagreement tonight, and we're just not seeing eye to eye. And we both talked to him about it privately. And I talked to him after. We both talked to him. And it was, actually, I think he texted me. It was very, a very quick text. He said, stop talking to your wife that way, period. I texted back and said, yes, sir. It solved our problem. That's all it was. Whatever I was telling my wife in that argument, he disagreed with. And he said, no, you, don't, you just need to back off. I think the reason why is because I, I am the fighter in nature in our relationship. I've got to learn to shut up more. And she needs to learn to talk more. But I don't want to get a fight started tonight. So <laughs> move on. May have to get on the phone again later. But... You know, you guys see me up here, and I'm, I'm praying and prophesying and working the gifts of spirit. But I want you to understand that I'm thankful for men of God, people in my life, that can give me a word. And I made my mind up. That man is there to protect me, my wife, and our marriage, our family. And whatever he thinks I need to do, I don't care what it is. I'm going to do it. And you know what? Just me submitting changed my spirit. And that alone solved the marriage issue. Because all marriage issues are spiritual issues. And whenever a man, a woman can be submissive to leadership, it is one of the closest things to being a Christian. Because it takes so much humility, trust, lack of pride, to swallow it and say, I'm going to follow the God-given leadership in my life. And that's a personal story that, that I've got. And there are many like that over the years where God has blessed us and helped us so much. Now, I was reading, let me just skip to the end here. I was reading something recently that just really blew my mind. 3 John 1 and 9. Let me, let me show this to you. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. This is negative. This isn't good. He's calling out this guy. Let's just call him Dio for short. So Dio here, he likes to be the big dog in the church. He thinks he's the big, famous, important preacher, whatever. And so Paul is writing, or John, I'm sorry, John is writing that this guy doesn't receive us. John! not received by this guy. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds. That's Bible talk for. I'm going to call out what he's been doing. I'm going to make it known this guy's not right. I mean, y'all, it's like they're in church, wherever they have church, a house, I don't know, a temple. 
But he said, when I come hang out with you guys next, I'm going to call Dio out. I'm going to tell all y'all what Dio's been up to. This is in our Bible. I know that our modern day church has been cultured by America. Soft, sensitive, offended all the time. But back in the Bible days, they did stuff a little different. And there was a troublemaker in the church. And he said, when I get there, we're going to air out all this mess. We're not letting that happen in the church. And so it says that he's done these, uh, bring, I'm going to call to mind the deeds which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. He's talking trash about John. God forbid. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and he forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. This guy's trying to kick everybody out of the church he don't like. He's agreeing with. He doesn't agree with them. And so, so John is like, we ain't having that. This is not of God. This isn't right. John had the authority to do stuff like this. So look at this in verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. Wow, those are heavy words right there, right? Dio is evil. Don't act like Dio. That's pretty crazy. Y'all, let's just, let's just make it real right now. It's like, I write under the awesome first church. There's a man named Omar. And uh, Omar is crazy. Omar's of the devil. I tell you all, this is an example. It's not for real. Y'all know that. My wife's like, God, have mercy, not Omar. I'm like, this is an example. It's a parable. I'm, I'm the prophet Nathan right now. I'm just telling a story about some sheep and a, just let me do my thing. And so it'd be like equivalent to me, me writing a letter and y'all getting up and y'all all reading it together. And you're all looking at Omar and it's just like. And then he finishes by saying, when I get there, we're going to take care of it. But in the meantime, don't be like that guy. Now you think, you think Dio, Omar, would leave. But sometimes they don't leave. Sometimes they stay when they should leave. And while they're there, they're causing all kinds of hell in the local church. So what, what John decided to do was stop the bleeding. I'm going to call out this spirit that is not of God, and I'm going to let all of the, the, the faithful, sincere saints know there's one among you that you need to mark specifically. He shut that spirit down and said, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not even seen God. Now look at this. But Demetrius, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. Now he's calling out Demetrius. He's like, look, I know, I know you got, you got Omar over here, but you also have Dante, and Dante is the man. You can trust in Dante. Dante's a good guy. See what he did? He diverted the distraction and said, here's someone you don't follow, and then he said, but there are others in the church you should follow. The church is not all a big mess. The church isn't all a representation of Dio. But there are others in the church that you can look up to. You have to choose, are you going to follow Dio or Demetrius? And he said, when I get there, we're going to deal with this stuff because it ain't going to happen in the church. There are some things we put up with and there's some things we don't put up with. 
So I, I'm telling you this because we're supposed to be biblical, I'm supposed to be biblical, but yet my word, if I did that, you would think I was a horrible pastor. Probably going to come a day where I'm going to have to do it. The way things are going. There's probably going to be a day where I'm about to get up, unfortunately, and say, this person is not right with God, and they're causing all kinds of problems, and they won't leave. And I want all of y'all to know about it. Well, my word, that, what about them being saved? You don't understand. You can't save evil. You just get them out. You can't save evil. My, my big statement, let me close. I know I'm past my time. Galatians 6 and 1. This is where I want to go next. Here's what I was, I was asking God about. I said, God, okay, correction is, is the will of God. Correction's in the Bible. We should correct. But how come they got away with calling out a guy like Dio? How are they so not politically correct? How could they get away with stuff like that, y'all? People would think they were abused and shamed in all kinds of words. It'd be on the news. It'd be on Twitter. Local church calls out someone. Y'all, it would be the the worst scandal in the whole world if we did something like that because it would be shaming them and making them feel bad. How did they get away with it in the first church? I asked God, and God, this is what he told me. He said, because they believe in the doctrine of restoration more than you do. And I was like, Rob, what are you talking about? Galatians 6 and 1, brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. When you find out that there are people among you that are making mistakes, we have a plan to get them out of what they're in and get their feet on solid ground again. The will of God for correction is not to hurt you, not to destroy you, but to help you get right with God. The reason why the first church could endure it and go through it is because they knew that people loved them. How do you you get correction to come back into the church? You have to first make sure people know you love them. This church will never be able to have correction come into it if we don't make up our minds. We love each other. We would give ourselves up for each other that we want to do anything it takes to restore each other. You can trust me with your faults. You can trust me with your mistakes. You can trust me with your sins. Y'all, the first church loved each other so much they could look each other in the eye and say, you're wrong. But I love you. Ain't nobody going to leave a church like that. Ain't nobody going to get mad at someone like that. A church that's healthy and pure has correction. But more than that, it has trust. And the only reason we ever correct anybody is to help restore them back to where they were. Not to kick them out of the church. You only take someone out of the church that doesn't want correction. Nobody ever has to leave this church if you want correction. But if you stay and you don't let anybody correct you, you cannot linger. You cannot make it. It won't last. How do we resurrect correction and get our church purified and holy and righteous? How do we start talking to each other that way? You've got to prove you love people. And you've got to prove that you are not a judgmental, legalistic, 
trying to destroy people, trying to get people out, but you are all about restoration. You are all about bringing people in and fixing them and mentoring them and discipling them. You've got to have that doctrine in you, saints of God. You've got to make up your mind that my goal and agenda is not to feel better, not to feel supreme, not to step on people. My goal is to help them. And when people feel that you help them, they will let you correct problem, y'all, is not that we don't know. Our problem is that we haven't proven we care. They're, you're not going to get, you're not going to lose your position if you let correction come in. I'm going to tell you a quick way to lose your position, your leadership, your status, is don't let anybody try to help you. You're so afraid of people finding out about what you did wrong. Why are you afraid? This is a loving church. And they're making mistakes too in different ways. So what did he say in Galatians? He said, I want you to consider yourself because you've also made mistakes. I want you to think about how you last week you also messed up. You know what we do? We take advantage of those moments and say, yeah, it feels good that you're messed up and I'm not. You're a liar. You messed up two months ago. You messed up when they were that age in the church when you were younger. You forget what God's done for you. If you remember how God saved you, you would want to restore somebody. I gotta hurry. We're, we're done. This is the safest place in the entire world for you to come to. This is the safest place in all the world for you to talk out your problems. This is the safest place in the world for you to get stuff fixed. In this church, we do not want to hurt you. We want to help you get to heaven. We want to see you get blessed. We want to see you have everything that God wants for you. Our desire, we don't feel good. We don't like it when you're hurting. The Bible says we hurt when you hurt. We shout and rejoice when you rejoice. We have a ministry of restoration. There's nothing you're going through right now that God can't fix it. Nothing. Nothing. No matter how hard you are, no matter if you're a leadership, you play an instrument, or you sing on the platform, or you're a teacher, if you can take correction, you can keep your position. Listen to me, David. You can keep the crown if you'll let the prophet talk to you. But, but Saul couldn't keep it because a prophet came to him, and he said, get out of here. Do what I want. If you're a real Christian and you're in the church for real, you can take correction. You better love it. Thank God for it and call yourself a son and a daughter. You ought to desire it. You ought to ask questions for it. And when you make a mistake, don't hide. Because there is a restoration ministry here. We will pick you up. We will fix your wounds. We will put you back on track. We'll teach you what to do different next time. And you never have to repeat that thing ever again. You can have true victory. Let's stand and let's, let's finish out the service. Thank y'all for enduring this tonight. Thank y'all for letting me go through all the scriptures. I know it's a lot. Other countries are so desperate for God, they, they preach two, three hours, and they love it. And in America, we, we can only watch movies for that long. I want, I want the young people, the children, I want our church I want our adults to lead the way and say, I can take correction. You got to make up your mind. You can take it. And it's not going to always feel good. And sometimes you're going to feel like you're being attacked. That's fine. You just need correction. And if you feel like you're being attacked, just ask. 
I feel like you're being attacked. Are you attacking me? Do you love me? Let's get that out of the way. You know what I'm going to start saying when I, when I do like counseling people is, okay, I need to talk to you about something, but step one, do you trust me? Oh, you don't? Well, then never mind. I'll talk to you later. What good does it do in me trying to correct someone who doesn't trust me? I've caused more problems thinking people trust me. So from now on, when I correct someone, and you ought to do this too, make sure they know you love them and there's trust or you're wasting your time. They don't want your help. They don't think you can. So keep working on that love. Keep believing in them and speaking life to them until they're ready for your help. Can we just lift our hands and just ask God to help us be a son and a daughter? Help us have a spirit of humility and, and not a spirit of pride. Before we leave tonight, just get that deep in our heart and our spirit. Uh, I want every young person, every child tonight to understand you need to obey your parents. You obey your parents. Obey your guardians. Obey the elders. It's the will of God. It's what's wrong with our generation. God help the parents to get back in line with being submitted to God, to being able to be corrected, to not be so full of pride that no one can tell us. It's why we're hurting and suffering, God. It's why people are not blessed. It's why they're poor. It's why they're, they're damaged because we won't let anybody help us. God, let the real Christians rise up and be have a heart about them that says, you can tell me, you can teach me, you can show me, whatever you want, God, I want to learn. I want to be submissive. I want to be blessed. I want to have victory in my life and my family. In the name of Jesus, I pray your anointing, God, in this entire room tonight. Help us, Jesus. And everybody say in Jesus' name. Thank God. Thank you for hanging out with me tonight. I, I hope that it helped. And I'm not going to leave this place and start scheduling meetings and, <laughs> and correcting everybody. That's not what I'm going to do. You know what? If you'll get this in your heart, I won't have to. I'll never have to. God, God loves you. I love you. My wife loves you. And I, I hope that you know we care about you. And I want to have a heart of a pastor. And I want you to feel that. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I've kept you too late. God bless you. Shake hands and be friendly. Don't forget thy children. And, and have a great night. We'll see you this weekend, Friday for Spanish dinner. All Nation Sunday, Sunday. It's going to be a good weekend. God bless you. Baptism Saturday. Hallelujah.